This is Brendan Sir. Welcome to another Coaching You podcast. And uh, our guest today is a, a dear friend, John Gordon, one of the best authors, frankly, in the world. Uh, his books on leadership, coaching, team building, uh, and positivity have just swept our country in the last 10 years. Uh, we've become great, great friends. Uh, I like to say he's my coach. He likes to say I'm his coach. That means neither one of us is paying each other, okay? But John is also one of the very best speakers in the world, and his client list is off the charts. And I think you're going to find today what makes him so special. We're going to talk about his new book, The Power of Positive Leadership, and a lot of other things. So before we get to that, I just wanted to mention uh, our Coaching You events coming up in the month of July. Listen, this event, these two events this year, uh, I'm so excited about because in Orlando on July 5 and 6, Wednesday and Thursday, uh, you're going to hear some of the best speakers in professional basketball. Uh, Billy Donovan has already committed. Uh, you, we've got Kurt Rambis going to come and speak on the triangle. Uh, you know, I think you're going to see some of the some of the other people that we have. Uh, that besides Kevin Eastman and myself are really going to be exciting for you because they're going to be fresh new ideas and we're going to have a complete list for you probably within the week. Uh, trust me on this. It's going to be one of our very, very best. When we go to Las Vegas the following Monday, Tuesday, the 10th and 11th, I think you're really going to find that what we've done there is really unique. Uh, we've combined it, combined some young folks that are, <laughs> I shouldn't say they're young, but some real experienced people that are young to the coaching you circuit, uh, new to the coaching you circuit, but have a wealth of experience and knowledge. You know, we're going to have some superstars there, uh, people that I think are, are just going to just, you're going to really be excited about. Uh, David Fisdale, one of the rising stars in the NBA coaching circles, but not a newbie to the NBA. Uh, you know, Eric Spolster, his former boss at Miami, they're going to both be out there with a couple of other surprise head coaches. And then Kevin Eastman and myself, Joe Abunasar, the number one basketball development guy in the country, Edere Messina, the best international coach in the world, the associate head coach of the Spurs, uh, Jeff Bezdelic, the terrific defensive coordinator for the Houston Rockets, Jerry Stackhouse, uh, who uh, played for me in Detroit and is really become, has great, great instincts of, a, of being a coach, won the D-League championship this year, and I think you're really going to find him to be incredibly sharp and really good. So you, we're going to add a few folks out there th that you're going to like. They're still involved in playing don't want to release their names yet but I think it's going to be a very good experience for all and uh, remember the reason I'm emphasizing is May 31 early discount goes away so if you're interested in coming to either one downtown July 5 and 6 in Orlando Lake Highland Prep or Impact Basketball July 10 and 11 in Vegas make sure you sign up I think you're really going to enjoy it. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. 
Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of coaching you for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Now to John Gordon. The great thing about what I do is I get to talk to the best people in the world at what they do. And when we started doing this years ago, uh, one of the first people that I sat down and talked with and did a podcast with was my dear friend, John Gordon. And at that time, he taught me about the energy bus and the power of that and training camp, the power of that concept. And then we've continued now with every single book that he's written. And I called the other day and I said, John, I'm a coach. I'm deeply superstitious. Every damn book you write is a bestseller. So we got to keep the streak rolling, brother. So when I read, when you sent me the copy of, first I was able to read the manuscript, but then when I got the actual book, The Power of Positive Leadership, uh, it's almost like it's one of our dinner conversations that we have. John Gordon, my friend, you keep knocking it out of the park. Congratulations on another one. Thank you, Brendan. I always love joining you on this and love coaching you in the community. And it just, uh, it's, it's like family. So thanks for having me. Well, you know, I think the thing that is we've seen you and I over the years is that coaching, coaching, coaching you, uh, that community of people, football, basketball, women, men's coaches, they gravitate to what you are talking about. They believe in you and your lessons. And there's no greater compliment than that when that happens. It's like, you know, having an offense or a defense and your players don't believe in it. You know, it doesn't matter how good the players are. But the coaches are believing it. And they also that I see, John, is that it shows the lapse, the gap that we have in coaching that it's so little of it is X and O's. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I um. I love these coaches because, you know, again, they they gravitate towards me, but I gravitate towards them because I appreciate the work they do. I mean, I admire that they give so much of themselves to help them and their teams become all that they're meant to be. So they're real big givers. But you're right. There's not a lot of development in coaching. There's a lot on X and O's, but there's not a lot empowering coaches giving them the inspiration and the tools they need to be their best. So that's what you're passionate about. That's what I'm passionate about. You know, it is tough to be a coach. There is so much pressure, as you know, to be a coach at all levels. And so I believe coaches need a voice and of encouragement that is speaking into them because they're always speaking 
into so many others. So for instance, for me, I, I need to be refueled. You know, I need to be recharged. And there are people that I turn to for that. There are books that I turn to for that. And so I love being that source for others. You know, when, uh, when you, and, and the thing that was amazing was the first time uh, we ever had you at Coaching You, the place was electrified because they had not heard these words of leadership and of positivity from someone in a field, frankly, that is surrounded by negativity. As much as coaches might think they're positive, they're not. They're not. There's very few. They're a handful. Most of them, you know, they wrap up they wrap up what they think is positive around a crock of you know what and 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 it really spoils the delivery of it and now you're saying how you can really be a, a phenomenal coach a national championship coach if you love if you love your team love your players and i think you've brought the word love into coaching where before it wasn't I think there's been a lot of people that have done it. I mean, myself included, but I, I just also believe it's a movement of where everything is going. There's been a lot of great writers to talk about love and Tony Dungy has showed us the way and on how to do it. And I think it's about investing in relationships today. You can no longer be the dictatorial style coach anymore. That old school style doesn't work. We're moving towards relational coaching, relationships investing in people, investing in your players, letting them know you love them. I mean, I wrote about Dabo Sweeney, as you know, in, in The Power of Positive Leadership. I've worked with Dabo and Clemson now for you know over five years, and I've seen firsthand how it works, how a coach that loves his team can win a national championship. It was so great after he won it. He was on TV, national audience, right, millions, and he said, my word all year has been love. He said, I told the team that our love for each other was going to make the difference. I mean, how great to hear that on national TV, that you can win with love. Now, you also have to have accountability. This is not just about love and singing Kumbaya and uh, Hunky Dory, right? This is about love and accountability, that because I love you, I'm going to invest in you, but I'm also going to challenge you to be your best. And if I love you, I'm not going to let you settle for anything but your best. So you hold them accountable to the standards the expectations of, of, of helping them become great at the same time knowing that it's the relationships that drive true greatness. So any kind of motivation must be driven by relationship. You know, um, you know, talking about Dabo, one of the stories you told me about him years ago that really swung him my way without ever knowing him was the one, first of all, I appreciate any guy that gets a job on an interim basis and then says, I'm going to keep the job. I'm just not filling a time slot. I'm going to keep this job. And um, and he goes out and becomes a difference maker. Talk about, well, I th it's in the book, but I think talk about uh, for those that, you know, we're going to sell some books today for you, but because <laughs> <the>, <laughs> I love this part about, you know, the board of trustees at Clemson, the guy that basically he didn't want Dabo. He wanted some big time Ohio State type of coach and stuff like that, but told him Tell him what he told that trustee about what Clemson football will become, his vision. I think that's so great. It's so powerful. When he told me that story, I just you know fell in love with it. He said, you know, I get the job. We had Georgia Tech that weekend. I'm preparing for the triple option. I don't get much sleep, but I have to get up early for this meeting with the board of trustees. 
And while I'm there, they're talking about what they want Clemson to be. They want it to be a strong football program, but great academics. And he said, you know, coach, our vision is that we want to be like Florida. We want to be like Michigan. We want to be like Ohio State. We want to be like Georgia. We want to be like them. And Dabo said, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it in his mind because he was a little tired, right? A little honorary. And he couldn't help himself. And he said, you know, sir, I, I, I respectfully disagree. That's not my vision at all. My vision is so much greater than that. My vision is that I want to create a program where they want to be like us. That is my vision. So even from the beginning, he was bold and optimistic. And he had this vision of what he wanted Clemson to be. And for any coach starting a program or trying to turn around a program, or dealing with adversity. You have to start there. Positive leaders create a vision for the road ahead. What is it that you truly want to create? And it can't be just words because you went about creating it, but that's where you start with that vision that will inspire everyone in your team. And I'm sure when he said that, those board of trustees were like, yeah, 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 a bunch of words, right? Another guy saying what he wants to achieve, but he truly believed it and that was his vision. He saw what Clemson can become and that's what positive leaders do, despite the pessimists, regardless of the naysayers and the setbacks and the circumstances. He had a vision and he was gonna work towards it. Wait, but having been around him so much now, John, what are his greatest uh, strengths? Oh, definitely his faith. I mean, his story is well-documented, all the adversity he went through as a child walk on in Alabama, he just has this incredible optimistic attitude, this belief, and this great faith. He's a man of faith. He believes in God, and he is just going to go for it. And also, there's not a lot of fear. It's like, no, no, there's no fear. We're just going to go forward with faith. If we lose, we lose, but we're going to go forward with faith. So he's not driven by fear. And it's so genuine. It's so real. It's so authentic. I think those are his greatest traits. And also, the way he connects with people one-on-one. -on -one. He really, truly loves people, and it's very genuine, very real, and you just feel it. Like, the moment we met, I felt like I, I've known him my entire life. It was like we were soul brothers. Couldn't explain it, but I just felt like I knew him, and he's just that kind of leader. So I would say it's that love, it's the relationships, but it's this bold faith that he has. I mean, who says to the media that if we make it to the college football playoffs, we're going to have a pizza party in Death Valley? Okay. 30,000 people showed up for that pizza party. At the time, he had no idea how he was going to supply pizza for 30,000 people. That's phenomenal. Uh, you know, when, when you, you've been around so many of the great ones, uh, let's take some guys, just let's pop off some of them, like Doc Rivers. You, you know, we got to, you know, you got to know Doc and became terrific friends with him. But what made him... You know, I obviously I, I coached him, drafted him, you know, and all that. So, you know, kind of I I knew him, but you know, he got very mad at me when I suggested he become a coach. You know, you know, you know, no no way I want to become a coach. And now <laughs> he's just like totally embraced him. But what did you find about him that made him unique? Well, you're the reason why I met him, and I appreciate that that introduction and. And uh, you and Kevin Eastman introduced me to him, and, and that's how I became friends, so I appreciate that. But what I, I learned from Doc is is the same thing that you learned from Chuck Daly. I mean, I asked Doc, you know, what's the most important thing you do as a coach? And he said, I communicate to my team. He said, not just collectively, but one-on-one. -on -one. And that's really important because I think coaches often give these team speeches, have these team meetings, 
but they don't connect enough one-on-one. And docs, I have to know where each person is in order to lead them where I need them to be. And so you have to slow down enough as a coach and stop being so busy that you don't take the time to invest in those one-on-one relationships and, and, and meetings that are so important. Uh, the Penn State coach, volleyball coach, Coach Rose, he does a one-minute drill with his team. One minute at a time, he meets with each player ongoing throughout the year and says, hey, here's what you're doing well. Here's what you're not doing so well. And here's what I want you to work on in the next training cycle. Any questions? And at that point, it's a conversation. But Doc, as you know, he spends so much time investing in his players with those one-on-one relationships that he knows who needs encouragement. He knows who's facing a challenge. When that crisis hit the Clippers with Donald Sterling and all that, he had such a great relationship with his players that they were able to stay strong through that time. If a coach did not have that communication and those relationships, that team would have crumbled and, and, and fallen apart. And so you can't wait for a crisis to start communicating. you got to communicate in advance, and that keeps you strong and connected throughout the season. So I learned so much from him in that regard. And as you know, he's one of the best communicators in the business. And what I love is I asked him, you know, what would you like to get better at as a coach? He said, I want to be a better communicator. So here's the best, wanting to get even better. <laughs> you know, I, I watch Popovich uh, coach at San Antonio, and, and, and the thing that amazes him is most of the coaches in the NBA, uh, we don't yell and scream too often. You know, we're, we're more like they're business partners of ours, the players, and yeah. we talk to them, and we have conversation with them, and we we understand that, you know, when your average player, you know, the average player of 450 players is $8 million per player, and some players at 30, 35 million, you know, you can't be talking to them like they're hired help. And so the communication is unique. It's it's very positive for the most part. The ones that are really good is very positive. But then we have this guy, this former Air Force guy down in San Antonio, yeah. who for 20 years has been doing this, and he is as honest as demanding and truthful as anyone out there. And he, whether it's Tim Duncan or David Robinson or uh, any, Kawhi Leonard, he is Tony Parker. He is in their face when they make a mistake. And people say, well, how does he do that? And I think it goes back to your description, which I think is so unique, Love Tough. Yes. Just explain he, Love Tough. Yeah, he, he knows and, and they know. Like they know that he cares about them, that he has their best interest at heart, and they know that that he wants them to be better. And you told me, and Mike Smith both told me, Mike told me with football, you told me with basketball, that a player needs to know that you have something to offer them to help them grow and get better. At that level, if you can't bring them something, then don't waste their time. <laughs> so as a coach, you better be on your game as a coach to bring them to the next level. If, if you're not, they're not, they're going to tune you out. So you have to be offering them something that helps them grow, something to get better. And you have to be that coach that cares about them. And you're right, Coach Pop, he is an interesting study because he is very demanding, but he's not demeaning. And that's another key attribute that's, of, ooh, that's of a great good one. leaders. That's demanding, a good one. but not demeaning. And love tough, as you said, you know, I love you, but I'm going to challenge you. To get better i'm going to challenge you to improve and grow and i'm going to make you better than you would be on your own so demanding but not being demeaning 
You know, I, I loved uh, the business part of it. And living in Detroit for years, I loved the automotive industry. It so, was so key to us. Uh, and I thought you did some fantastic things mentioning Alan Malay from Ford. Uh, talk to me about, I think it's really one of the most important things is clarity. I thought that was really, I hadn't heard that in so many times. I think, you know, how, the importance of clarity as a leader. Oh, it's everything. I mean, clarity is what generates focus. And I didn't think about that until I was writing the book, until I interviewed Alan Mulally and I found how he turned around Ford. They were losing $14 billion, and he had them profitable in a few years. They say it was one of the greatest leadership feats in history. We're not talking about 12 guys on a team. We're talking about 50,000 employees. We're talking about leaders that were dysfunctional, a culture that was dysfunctional, a company that was regionalized. He created one Ford with one team, with one plan and one goal. And he said, John, everyone had to know the plan, embrace the plan, and relentlessly work towards the plan. And here's a key for coaches. He said, you have to have a compelling vision, a comprehensive strategy, and a relentless implementation of the plan. And if you have those three ingredients, that's what keeps an organization moving forward. So what he did was he made it very clear what they were doing. His entire plan was on a small business-sized card back and front. And everything that they would do, what they stood for, and how they would work together was on those two cards. And so everyone in Ford knew how they would work together, knew what they had to do, and all they had to do was go execute. You're the one who taught me about a culture of execution, right. that the Utah Jazz years ago only had eight plays. The Packers had one power sweep. Vince Lombardi spent a four-day clinic, two full days devoted to one play. Two full days, the power sweep, right? Alexander the Great had the, the, the great right flank. That was the one maneuver that he used over and over again to win. We know in and out Burger, five guys, right? Simplicity. So simple is powerful. When you have clarity and everyone knows what they need to do, then you can act. And I think so often the world is creating clutter and as coaches, we need to make sure that we're not creating clutter. We have to provide clarity, simplicity so our team can act. That's why a lot of times you'll find like with coaches, for instance, and offensive coordinators and defensive coaches, they want their players to react so they'll have a simplified defense. Seattle Seahawks, a very simple defense that allows them to react. It's not very complicated. They just say, hey, we're going to be really great at what we do. Try to beat us. And that's how they approach it. And the same thing with you know, great offenses. You have a new quarterback. Don't make it complicated. Make it very simple for them to have clarity to enact their, their plays and know what they need to do to execute. Boy, that's a coaching clinic right there, buddy. Um, you know, <laughs> one of the things that I, I loved about you know, uh, what you've really taught me, one of the really important things was purpose and uh, how you have to have that purpose and then uh, inspire other people about their purpose. Because I think a lot of us, we just work, we just go through things and we sometimes, we, we're, not, we're not intentional, maybe is a better word, about what we're trying to do. The, pos the best positive leaders, purpose is a major part of what they do, correct? Oh, yeah, because you're going to get up certain days and you're not going to feel very positive. And that's why you need a purpose that gives you something to be positive about. It's that purpose that fuels positivity. It's a greater source of energy. And so you're feeling negative, you're feeling down, you got to coach these kids, you got to coach this team. All right, you know what? I'm going to fuel up with purpose. 
and I'm going to make them better. I'm going to love serving care as part of my purpose. I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. And I'm going to show my care. And as I do that and I live my purpose, I live my why. Like, why am I coaching? And that's going to give me the fuel I need to keep moving forward. You know, we don't get burned out because of what we do, Brandon. You know that. We, we get burned out because we forget why we do it. And it's so easy to lose your why. It's so easy to lose your purpose. I always tell coaches, remember your purpose because if you don't have a purpose, you can't inspire others to live their purpose. And your team needs a purpose. Your team needs a North Star of where they're going. And as a leader, you got to inspire them with your purpose and then help them come up with their purpose. Let's talk about college, for instance. A lot of college athletes I hear from coaches have lost their why. Why is that? Well, because they've been playing organized sports since they were like three years old. And so they're now going to camps. They're doing studies. They're working with a coach. They're doing game film. They're doing this and that. Ever since they've been so young, everything has been organized. Now they get to college. It can no longer be about their parents of why they're playing. They have to come up with their own why of, of why they're playing the game they're playing, why they're playing golf, why they're doing tennis, why they're doing basketball. It has to be their why. And once they have a purpose for, for their game and it's about their own ownership, that's where the power comes from. So that's something I often tell co college coaches to help them find their, their why of their players. Yeah, that that's huge. You, you In the last year or so, I think you've really – jumped deep into the word grit uh, and as a difference maker for performers and for coaches uh, how do you see that as a, a positive leader and and inspiring their people that work with them well I talked to Angela Duckworth who's the foremost researcher on grit she wrote that book that great book on grit we had a great conversation and it's something that I just naturally gravitated towards because I recognized how important it is for my own journey, right? My own journey of mm -hmm. failure and having to overcome and obstacles and the grit just to keep moving forward. I know in my marriage, we have relationship grit. That's helped us stay strong and move forward, thank, thank God. So you see what grit does. And, and the research shows that grit is the number one predictor and factor of success. It's not talent. It's not title. It's not wealth. It's not good looks. It's grit, the ability to work hard, for a long period of time towards a goal, to, to persevere, to overcome, to keep moving forward in the face of adversity, failure, rejection, and obstacles. So as a leader, as a positive leader, they have grit. They say, you know what? We're going to find a way. We're going to continue to do things the right way. Like David Cutcliffe told me, you know, John, well, even when we were three and nine, those two seasons in a row, I still knew we were doing things the right way. And I felt good that great things were, were coming our way. And sure enough, they went to three straight bowl games right after that. Dabo Sweeney was six and seven in 2010. So think about that, two, six and seven, 2010, but had the grit to just continue to work at it, to continue to move forward. He gets Chad Morris as offensive coordinator, then Brent Venables as a defensive coordinator. Then you recruit a guy like Deshaun Watson and you know Sammy Watkins and all the guys and Taj Boyd who built the foundation of that program who had a lot of grit. It all comes together a few years later. So... Whenever you're a positive leader and you're inventing something, creating something, envisioning a brighter and better future, you have to know it's going to take a long time. And it's going to take the grit to continue to work towards it because you're going to face a lot of adversity. There's going to be a lot of naysayers, a lot of energy vampires that are seeking to bring you down. And you have to be more positive than the negativity you face on this journey. Wow. When you 
the thing that made your book so unique, uh, I feel, was that you wrote them in fable. And gosh, they're they're good. And I and I always admired because I just couldn't write a fable. But now the last two have not been. And you know the Mike Smith, you know, winning in the locker room first. You know, yep. you win in the locker room first, and then this one on the power of positive leadership. They're both not. Why the change? You know, it's just what was meant to be written. I knew with this book, there was so much to share and so much to tell that I couldn't really tell it in a fable format. It's almost like over the past 10 years since the energy bus has been out, and it's amazing. People are still discovering it for the first time now, which I love because Mm -hmm. it's the kind of book that is is timeless. It actually sells more now than it did, you know, five years ago and 10 years ago. But in writing these fables, uh, you know, and getting to work with teams who read the fables, I now have learned so much from these leaders that we're talking about, Dave Roberts of the Dodgers and Clint Hurdle with the Pirates and Eric Spolster with the Heat and Billy with OKC. I'm, I've learned a lot from them. And then I'm now able to share you know, what I've learned. And so this seemed to be the right format. And when Mike and I wrote Win in the Locker Room, I didn't know how that was going to go. That couldn't be a fable. So as we wrote that and the response to that and how people resonated with that, it made me realize that for this next one, I need to write in the same format. And I'm going to write one more after this, and it's going to be called The Power of a Positive Team. And I'm going to write about teamwork and how great teams come together, but I'm going to write it in the same format. And then after that, I have another fable that I know I'm meant to write, and I'm going to go back to a fable after that. You already know that? Yeah, I know. Because I've wanted to write this book now for nine years, and I haven't written it yet. And I know I'm meant to write it, I even have the cover for it, so wow. I'm sort of just waiting for the right time to write it, but it's a fable. It's going to be so powerful, so unique, but I know I'm meant to write this other one, The Power of a Positive Team, follow up with, with this book of The Power of Positive Leadership, and then I'll go back to writing the fable. Jeez, that's not bad, brother. What uh, what excited you most about doing this book? You know, because there's always, as you told me, there's always discovery about yourself and about people that you meet along the journey of doing a book uh but i know and you there's no one that does books faster or quicker than you but you go at warp speed but the collection of intel is over years i understand that so what, what were things that grabbed you about writing this well the intel like you said has been over years like when you said to me you know uh shout praise, whisper criticism, Mm -hmm. like that made it to the book because that was something I wrote down. So it's like what I've learned over the years, but to write it, yeah, it took about four weeks to write this book. And what was so much fun about it was I had been giving this talk, the power of positive leadership. And so I had just worked with Dell and EMC. And as they merged together as a company, I was speaking to the leadership, helping them become one team but it's positive leadership that unites the team. So I've been giving talks like that to various companies, Southwest Airlines and others. So to blend sports and then business and then school districts and all the principals I've worked with and share some of their stories. And then some of the nonprofit people I've met, like you know Scott Harrison at Charity Water and what they've done and how they've done it and how they're driven by purpose and his positive leadership that is changing the world. So I was able to bring together all these different genres, all these different uh, you know, businesses and so forth and bring it into one sort of collection of a book with a, with a framework of, of nine key pieces of positive leadership. So I had my structure 
of these nine buckets. And I just had to put pretty, pretty much stories, principles, and practices in each bucket to be able to put it together. And so it was actually the latest I ever started a book, like mid-December. I usually start December 1. Mm -hmm. So it was a little painful at first. But once I started getting going with it, it was actually fun to share and put all of it together and tell these stories. And again, I'm living these stories. So I'm basically just sharing what I'm learning and then telling a little bit of my own story in the process because my journey has been one of positive leadership too. So in my talks, for instance, I share these stories. I share a little bit of my own story. And the response from these leaders have always been you know, incredible. So it's cool to see that same response in a book format too. A lot of people think that you're an author only uh, that don't know you at all. They just see the book in the bookstore, they buy Barnes & Noble, Amazon, etc. They just say, oh, this is great. You and I first met years ago when you were speaking, ironically, to the Orlando Public School District and uh, their, their leaders, their administrators, uh, who were in terrible shape at the time. And, and you came in and I listened to you speak. And, and I wanted to hear you speak because I had heard about the book you wrote. And so I sat there and, you know, I got to tell you, and we were such good friends. I don't get easily impressed. I was blown away. And I was saying to myself, this guy is got the whole deal. And, and you were not a household word at that time. And how has this journey been for you? Because now you're one of the biggest influences there is in business leadership, sports coaching, leadership, uh, team performance, and you have a voice that's huge out there. And I know, having been an athlete, a terrific lacrosse player, and have two kids that are athletes, I, I know that it's, it's got to be really exciting for you. It is exciting. And I, I'm just loving what I do. And I still want to get better every day. I still continue to improve. And I see where there's a lot of improvement <laughs> in everything I do. So I just want to continue to get better and continue to be a better writer and a better speaker as well. Because... You know, I look at the greatest speakers in the world and I go, man, that's that's where I want to get to. Right. So I want to continue to improve in that way. Uh, yeah, when Tom Flick saw me, it was real nice. Like our buddy Tom Flick, who is probably the busiest speaker I know in the world, Tom uh, said to me, he goes, you know, John, you're one of the rare people that actually can write and speak. <laughs> he said a lot of writers <laughs> can't speak. So, But I do consider myself a writer first. Right. And so I think the love of writing is then – the speaking is about conveying the ideas that I'm writing about. But if you had asked me, would I want a team to read my book or would I want to speak to them instead? I would want them to read the book before I spoke mm -hmm. or instead of speaking because I know that the book is where the power is at. I have found that the teams who read my book have the most success. Why? They internalize the story. It's not even the book. They internalize the story and the message. So when you watch a movie or, a, or read a book, that book becomes a part of you. And a book becomes a part of your own story and your own mindset. And it shifts your perspective. And to me, that's where, again, the greatest change happens. If I speak to a team, then it's about reinforcing the messages. Or sometimes I share the message in the first place with the goal that they'll then read the book. And again, it goes back and forth. So to me, that's the key. And then you have to have a leader and a coach making sure that they're reinforcing the message. But yeah, if you had asked me, you know, 10 years ago, would I be working with all these teams I'm working with and getting to do this work? No. But as a former athlete, someone who loves coach, coaches, loves the coaching profession, loves leadership, didn't ever think I'd be a leadership speaker years ago. I would say my calling found me more than me searching for it. It's like I know my purpose 
and it's to do this work to make a difference. So I want to continue to do it, continue to get better at it, and don't really have any other uh, desire to, to change fields or do anything different, except to make movies. I do want to make some movies based on the books now. That's sort of my, I think, my next chapter in the future, whenever that's meant to be. But I do want to make some movies to inspire people based on these stories. Like Training Camp, I know I want to make it into a movie. That would be inspire good. inspire kids. That would be like uh, Blindside, you know, in yes. some ways, you know. Uh, you know, if, I want to be in one of the movies. I want to be in the positive. Oh, you're in it. A, a positive dog. I want to be in a positive <laughs> dog. You know? right. Quick, quick sidebar. I'm in China yeah. with Alan Iverson, Dennis Rodman on a tour playing seven games. I got seven players, eight players in the D League and I'm touring through China and you had sent me uh, the book. So I've got it on my iPad and I'm in the bus with these guys swinging through the beautiful landscape of China and all of a sudden, one of the players turns to me and says, Coach, why are you crying? And I said, oh, it's just it's smog, the pollution. <laughs> I'm reading Positive Dog, and I am in tears because no one will take this poor dog out of the, out of the shelter. I'm like, it's, uh, I, I'm fine. Don't worry about me, you know. And and so you're, you're the one of those guys that no matter, no matter what you write, I love it. I think. I think the power of positive leadership is spot on. I think it's right at the perfect time, John. I think it's it's obviously it's going to be a huge success. And as always, I thank you for sharing uh, your ideas with uh, the listeners that we have. Uh, you know, we have great, great fans in coaching you of you, and uh, have always been supportive of you. They they love what you do, and they appreciate when you share with them. So thanks again. Thanks, Brendan, and thanks to the coaching you community. I mean, because of you. You've allowed my ideas to, to spread and um, allow me to impact a lot of your players. So I always uh, am grateful for that. And I never take that for granted. So I just think it's amazing work you're doing and coaching you. Keep it up. I want to encourage all the coaches out there. Keep developing yourself. Keep going to these coaching you events. Keep finding ways to, to build yourself up as a leader because as you improve as a leader, you can improve all the people around you. And one thing I've learned in writing this book, and this is the life I've lived, is you know, I went from negative to positive myself. And one thing I know is that being a positive leader doesn't just make you better. It makes everyone around you better. And the key is to start today. Ooh. John, uh, two things. Uh, people, uh, they want to follow you. I love your Monday morning, uh, you know, uh, on your website where your blog out. You know, uh, can you give them how to get your newsletter every Monday? Sure, it's a free weekly, you know, positive tip every week, and it it's at johngordon.com, just J-O-N Gordon.com, J-O-N Gordon.com, and then you can just uh, sign up for it right there. And then every Monday, we send that weekly positive tip out. I've been doing it since 2002. And then I'm on Twitter, at johngordon11, J-O-N Gordon11, Instagram, at J-O-N Gordon11 as well. And then, of course, uh, the books. We don't have as many bookstores as we used to, but the best way to get books is how? Amazon or Barnes and Noble or 800CO Read for your team. 800CO Read for teams, they have great service. They give, you know, bulk discounts and so forth. Get a lot of calls for the carpenter or a training camp and books like that. So uh, you can go through any of those channels. We don't sell books directly, yeah. uh, but but the, the retail outlets are the best way to go. My friend, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, And again, we couldn't be happier for you and celebrate this new book, Power of Positive Leadership with John Gordon. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Brennan. 